broke down and bought a shock collar for our dog. Uh, and for those of you who didn't know, during the quarantine, I finally broke down and bought a dog uh, for my family. Uh, he is a German short-haired pointer that we affectionately call Preacher. Um, he's now six months old, and uh, sometimes, can you believe it, he has a will of his own. He wants to do what he wants to do. And so now that I wield the mighty power of the shock collar, my goal is to overtake his will with my will. So it has three modes on it. Some of you are probably familiar with these. One is like a little thing that beeps and that just seems to confuse him. The other is a, just a vibration that kind of buzzes him and that's primarily what we've been using up to this point. The last resort option is the shock option and there's 16 levels of shock option. I tried level three on myself and Faith. Uh, I did have her permission. I think I, did I have your permission? Okay, good. So we tried it on each other just to see what it was like, uh, but we haven't gone up to level 16 with the dog yet. And so hold that thought and we'll come back to it in a moment. As we look at Paul's letters, they all have a variety of intentions and purposes. Some letters were written as a means of introducing himself to a particular church or group of people, like Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, some letters were written uh, personally to friends just to help them as they were dealing with particular situations in their ministry, situations and circumstances such as Timothy and Titus. And some were written to encourage a group of people who were just confused about what was going on in their midst, like Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, but some were written because the churches had bad theology and they had bad behavior. Uh, many of you were here a, a couple of years ago when we worked through Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He had a lot of instruction to offer them on their behavior and on their theology. But the letter that, that has the most shock value, I'm talking level 16 shock value to get their attention, in my opinion, has to be his letter to the Galatians which we have been studying throughout this particular year. We've noted from the beginning how Paul, like a lawyer, doesn't even offer a thanksgiving prayer, but moves immediately into making his case, proclaiming his astonishment regarding the actions of the Galatian Christians, how quickly they have set Christ aside and gone back to the slavery of the law. From chapter 1, verse 5, it doesn't even seem like Paul takes a breath from his debate, his argument, his berating of these Galatian Christians. In rapid-fire succession, he has offered evidence upon evidence regarding their failures in following after the false teachers. All of this really reaching a crescendo point with where we left off last week in chapter 4 and verse 11. Here's what he said. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Those had to be some difficult words to write. And those certainly had to be some difficult words to read. I'm afraid that everything I've done for you may be pointless. If Galatians seems uncharacteristic for Paul, that's because up to this point it, it really is. 
We know from other letters that Paul is gentle. He's meek. He shows patience. He's gracious. And if you're wondering, well, surely he will not hold down the shock button forever. Surely at some point the Apostle Paul will relinquish and will show his more gentle side. Well, today is the day. Today is the text where things begin to shift. In Galatians 4.12, the direction of the letter changes. I don't mean to say that he won't offer more evidence and more argument. This is Paul we're talking about. But the tone of the letter seems to change. In the book of Isaiah, there is a, a beautiful verse that describes the, the nature of the coming Christ. And it's quoted in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. And it says this, a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the gentleness of our Savior? Even though that reed is nearly snapped in half, he's not going to finish it. He's going to tie it up and let it mend and heal. And even though all you can see is just the faint spark of a flame and a little bit of smoke coming off the wick of that candle, he will do everything in his power to get that flame to burn once again. A lovely picture of our Savior. In this letter to the Galatians, Paul doesn't want to put their flame out. It's not his objective. And so, like Christ here, he, he turns down the tone. He takes a more gentle approach. And so I want you to follow along as I read in Galatians 4, starting in verse 12. We're going to read all the way down through verse 20 together. The Apostle Paul writes this, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial for you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, that is the false teachers, make much of you, but for, for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I have again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Father, we pray now your gracious and necessary blessing on your word. Help us to not only understand these truths, but help us to be diligent as we read earlier to apply them to graft them into our lives. We pray that you would do this work, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 12, Paul makes a familiar plea, if you're familiar with his other letters. He tells them, become as I am. 
Become as I am. And let me give you a few observations about this. It is, in fact, to please some translations say, I beg you, I'm pleading with you, I urge you to become as I am. And notice how he addresses them. He says, brothers. You could say brothers and, and sisters. He addresses them with these titles of endearment. He wants to communicate to them his love for them. They are, in fact, his family, his brothers and sisters. In other places where we find Paul inviting his readers to imitate him, it usually is in this context. Imitate me, Paul would say, as I imitate Christ. But that's not the context of what he writes here. Paul wants them to imitate him by unshackling themselves from the Old Testament law like he has unshackled himself from the Old Testament law. He says, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to be like me and let go of the law. Enjoy the freedom that is found in trusting in Jesus alone. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Stop trying to do it on your own and recognize that Jesus has done the work for you. Be like me, he says. We know that's the context of the letter. We know that's the context because of what he writes next. He says this, because I have become like you. So Paul says, become like me because I have become like you. What kind of Jedi mind trick is that? What is he talking about? How has he become like them? Because he was a Jew. And he laid aside the law. He, he put those things aside. He put a, his past behind. Read Philippians 3. He's very open about that. I count it all as loss, he says, for the sake of knowing Christ. So he says, become like me because I have become like you in letting go of all of these things. The traditions, the demands of the Mosaic law. And then he reminds them that when he and Barnabas came to town, he says, you never treated me poorly. You never treated me wrong. This leads into Paul's uh, personal reflection, their mutual love for each other that he describes beginning in verse 13 where he, where he recounts his arrival in the Galatian region. You can read about this from Luke's account in Acts 13 and 14 if you want to take the time to go look at that. But when Paul showed up in the region of Galatia, he was sick. He says here, there was this physical ailment. My body was weak, yet the Galatians, they didn't reject him. They didn't push him away. As you can imagine, there's been a great deal of speculation regarding Paul's illness. I always think it's funny. I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm a human too, but we want the details of this kind of stuff. We want to know, what was going on with Paul? Well, why was he sick? I mean, those are the kinds of things that we want, but those are the kinds of things that Paul doesn't give us, and those are the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit doesn't give us because those things are necessary. But I'll give you some of the speculation. Some say that Paul showed up disfigured from recent beatings. It was in this particular area that he was stoned, considered dead, and left. He had also already been through many different trials and and tribulations up to this point in his ministry. Some suppose more modernly, I don't know why this is and why it works this way with scholars, but malaria, epilepsy, some sort of eye issue, something that maybe his eye was disfigured, something that could have been a part of something that he had had prior to. 
Again, all is speculation. If we needed to know, it would have been diagnosed. But instead, the, Paul, the point Paul's trying to, to make is even though he showed up looking pretty rough, feeling pretty rough, no doubt, they didn't blow him off. But instead, they, they listened to his message. They took the time to hear what he had to say. By God's grace, they not only listened, they received the good news of Jesus that Paul shared with them. Imagine some guy rolling into our town. I mean, his eyes all swollen shut, he looks weak, and he said, hey, have I got a message for you? It's going to change your life. We would look at him and say, man, if my life ends up looking like your life, I don't want anything to do with your message. You can, you can roll on to the next town. We don't want you here. We don't want to hear what you have to say. That was the temptation that Paul writes about in verse 14 that they face. The temptation to blow him off and send him packing down the road. But instead of rejecting Paul in appearance, they received him as a messenger from God. This is once again evidence that God was already at work in them. God was already drawing these men and women to himself. Still, Paul is curious. Why the change? And he asked this question, and I really like this question because the word that he uses is very important. He said, what has happened to your blessedness? Now, where have we, where have we covered that word blessedness or blessing so far in the letter? When we're talking about Abraham and the blessing that was promised him that, that Abraham, you will be blessed and everyone who puts their faith and trust in the promised Messiah that comes through you will be blessed as well. What's the seal of that blessing? The Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, what's happened to the Spirit? I saw it at work in you. It was the evidence that you were truly, genuinely following Jesus. What has happened to that promised blessing? He's driving them into deeper reflection. And he even reminds them of this. He says, you would have even gouged out your own eye and given it to me if you could have. That's why some suppose that Paul had some sort of eye malady. And he's making a specific reference. But he could just be making something metaphorical to say, you would have given anything for me just, just a few years ago when I was first with you. What leads to one final question in this first section. So then have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul desires to know where he stands. Are they his brothers and sisters? Are they still with him? Or are they his enemies? Has the word that he's spoken now offended them? Friend or foe? And there's an underlying issue here that we've, we've covered from, from the very beginning of the letter that as goes their relationship with Paul, goes their relationship with Jesus. Because if they reject Paul, they're rejecting the gospel that he preached. If they reject the gospel that he preached, they're rejecting Paul. And Paul wants to make that very clear in this point that, that your decision matters greatly. Well, let's talk about Paul appealing to their motives in the latter few verses. Verses 17 through 20. Paul attempts to contrast his own heart for the Galatians with that of the false teachers. He says this in verse 17, They make much of you, 
but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Paul desperately wants the Galatians to see what he sees. I mean, he is like a father looking into the life of his children who are making poor decisions. And he says that the false teachers are using you for their own selfish purposes and ends. They want power. They want money. They want prestige. They want fame. And so to get their power, money, and fame, they are zealously involving themselves in the lives of you. But it's not for your benefit. In verse 18, he commends the Galatians to a degree, even the false teachers. He says, you are worth zealous pursuit. I love that line. You are worth zealously pursuing, but for the right reasons, but for the right goal, but for the cause of Christ. As long as those who are zealously pursuing you are pointing you to Jesus because Jesus is the good purpose. But the false teachers were not pointing them to Jesus. Rather, they were pointing them to themselves. That's how false teachers work. Even in the present day, they have a way of tickling the ears of those who are listening. They make their listeners feel special. They make their listeners feel like they, they can belong to this. They make their listeners feel loved, but in the end, the false teachers don't love them at all. They're using them for their own gain. And that is not the Spirit of Christ. That's why we're told all throughout the New Testament, test the spirits, watch, be observant, pay attention. On Wednesday nights, starting this week, we're going to be, begin working through just in a, in a very uh, casual way, 2 Peter. 2 Peter has a lot to say about even our current study in Galatians, our current situation in our culture. We read the opening introduction of that as the service began today. But 2 Peter has a great deal to say about the nature of false teachers. And I'm excited that as we move through the fall, the next several weeks until we get to the holiday season, yes, it's coming, uh, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be talking about that on Wednesdays. And so I'd like to invite any of you to come out and join in those particular discussions. It will be beneficial to you. But in verse 19, Paul offers a shocking metaphor. And I think his goal, he wants to communicate to them his, his love, the depth of the love that he has for the Galatians. But he also wants to, with his metaphor, sober them up from the bewitchment, from the spell that's been cast on them that he talked about in previous chapters. Because he says, my children, I am again undergoing birth pains <laughs> until Christ be formed in you. And all the women sigh, like Paul knows anything about birth pains. He compares himself to a mother who is in agony dealing with the birth pains. She loves this baby. For nine months she has nurtured this baby and is willing to undergo this agony, willing to either, even suffer her own fate of death in order that this baby might be born into the world. Paul is in agony over the Galatians. He's hurting. It pains him to see them so polluted by the false teachers. And he will continue, he says, to push. And push. 
until he sees Christ formed in them. What a great statement, isn't it? Christ formed in you. That's the goal. That's the conclusion of the matter. To see Christ formed in me. To see Christ formed in you. We, we say it a little bit different around here. We say it's to know Christ. That's not about just a knowledge. That's about a life. It's about what we live like and how we talk. And Paul will not give up on them. Paul will not abandon them. He will continue in the labor of prayer, encouragement, rebuke, service, whatever it takes until he sees Christ formed in them. Even wishing that he could be there with them in person, realizing that it's much easier that way. These conversations are not best received through a letter, but face to face. The false teacher's motives were selfish. Paul wants them to see that his motives were born out of love. This really does, in this text, give us a, a personal look at the Apostle Paul. His love for them. That's why I wanted to begin the service with Peter's letter, because we also got a personal look from Peter, didn't we? Peter says, oh, I just want you to remember these things. And as long as I'm on this earth, I'm going I'm to be persistent in reminding you of these things. They love their people. To be open with you, I spent a couple days earlier in the week avoiding this passage. I uh, I had even printed out a couple of other sermons that I thought I could preach that because I'm not really ready to preach this. And this was Tuesday, mind you. I still had the rest of the week. But I had printed out some others and read through them and thinking through some other options, thinking I could save this particular text for another day, hoping I could delay opening my own self up to this particular word. And you may wonder, well, well, why is that? That's because this particular passage is pretty convicting for pastors. Because we, we come face to face with the white, hot, passionate love that the Apostle Paul has for the Galatians. We, we see very clearly in passages like this his pure motives in writing to them. We see his overwhelming grief that they're being swept away by wolves. We see his zeal for seeing Christ formed in them. And I have to confess to you, one of the reasons that I didn't want to deal with this was because I didn't want to deal with my own heart. And, and I have to confess, as your pastor, there are times that I do not love that way. There are seasons where my motives are not right. Days when I don't want to feel labor pains. I don't want to put out the effort. Sometimes I have very little zeal to see Christ formed in you. Over the past few months, I've not been a good shepherd in these regards. 
and, and to be even more open with you, even questioning my own calling at times. Is this what I'm supposed to do? Because I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't feel that zeal. And some may point and say, well, well I didn't notice. Many of you are always complimentary of sermons, but sermons is just a small portion of being a shepherd. I understand I'm not standing here to resign. It's not my intention. I'm here to confess that I've lacked zeal for the very thing that I'm called to be zealous about. Christ being formed in you. Been selfish. Selfish with time. Selfish with resources. Been indifferent. Um, unmotivated at times. All noted in things like a lack of prayer for you. Noted in a lack of maybe a deeper study where I needed to go a little bit further. I needed to engage at a different level. Personal contact that hasn't happened. And the list can go on and on and I, I quite honestly do believe that it will go on and on as the Spirit reveals more and more to me in the coming days, in the coming weeks. Many pastors have written about the complexity of this particular time, noting that the shutdown was hard. I've read all sorts of blogs and articles. Momentum, uh, routines were thrown. Could give all sorts of reasons and excuses. I'll be honest, I've, I've also found the, the complexity of our culture right now very hard. We're so polarized. How, how do we present and talk about racial issues? How do we present and talk about political issues? I try to strike a, a balance in the middle of, of just trying to understand what both sides are saying, and that's, at least from my estimation, very rare these days. I don't find a lot of other people doing that. And it's exhausting to try to find where, where are we supposed to be? Where does Christ want us? But all of those are, those are, those are no excuses because in, in the midst of that, instead of finding the new way, the better way to shepherd, instead of moving forward, I've just coasted and settled. So today, I, I sincerely ask for your forgiveness in that. I I commit to do better. I'm setting aside time this fall to focus particularly on some of these things so that God may show in my heart where growth needs to happen. And I wish I could say that, you know, just this text right here revived me and showed me everything. That's not the way it works. You know that. But I'm moving in the right direction. All glory to Him. But I also can't be faithful to the text if I just stop with me. Because we're all created to love each other in the same way Paul loved the Galatians. I'll just be held to greater accountability for it. It's just my job to model it. How well do you love one another? Do you have the same passionate care and love for the person sitting in front of you, beside you, behind you that Paul had for the Galatians? Are you willing to give your eyes to sacrifice whatever you can for the benefit of other people 
Do you feel the pains of, of childbirth for one another when you see them in seasons of struggle? Struggle with sin, struggle with the circumstances of life that are around them. Does it grieve you to see others struggling? Is your goal to see Christ formed in the people that are around you this morning? Awana starts tonight. I couldn't help but think, what greater goal for our Awana leaders to say, I want to see Christ formed in these kids. For Josh and Jesse, I want to see Christ formed in these Thrive students. For those who are teaching downstairs now, we'll teach in the coming months. Are we zealously pursuing this as the goal? Or are you too engrossed in your own life, your own job, your own hobbies, your own world to have concern for the people that Christ has called you to serve and love and use your gifting to build up? For their benefit, yes, but ultimately for the glory of Christ, His church. So that leads to my final question, and that's this. Is Christ being formed in you? Is that the goal of your life? To see Christ formed in you? Earlier in this series, we spent a good deal of time focusing on the word justification. And for good reason, because that's the word that Paul is focused on the most up to this point in the letter. Justification meaning to be declared righteous and holy and blameless by God. And we're only declared righteous and holy and blameless when we trust in the righteousness, holiness, and blamelessness of Jesus. You'll never get there on your own. This justification comes by faith. And I hope that everyone in this room has put their faith in Christ. And if you have, the scripture tells us that you have been justified. But even though God has declared us to be righteous, we still struggle with sin. We will until resurrection. And so Paul not only transitions his tone at this point in the letter, but he transitions his focus from not justification, but sanctification. Christ being formed in us. In our day-to-day -day life, that we're growing to be more faithful. We're growing to be more patient. We're growing to care for others like Christ does, where he doesn't quench that wick. No, he fans the flame. We're growing in these particular ways. We speak in tones and use words that tear others down, but now we want to build them up. Maybe we're still given to anger. We're still eaten up with bitterness, unwilling to forgive others. But when Christ is formed in us, grace grows. Forgiveness grows. Maybe you struggle to give in to fear and to worry. None of those things, none of those sins are, are of Christ, but the, the Spirit, the blessing 
that he has given to us, that he has entrusted to us, is wanting to work to form Christ in you right now. He's wanting to help all of us grow, to put off the bitterness, to put on gracious forgiveness, to put off debilitating worry and to place it with bold faith, to put off selfish pursuits and to put on a, a genuine, true love for our neighbor. The question is, are we cooperating with the Spirit? Are we listening to the Spirit? Are we allowing the Spirit to form Christ in us? Or are we grieving? Are we quenching that Spirit? Today I want to encourage you to just do a few things. I'm not saying they're easy. But I am saying they're necessary if we'll see Christ formed in us. We have to surrender to the Spirit. What He says goes. Today we have to open up our Bibles and let the truth be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Don't avoid the word of truth like I was attempting to do earlier in the week. Let it speak. Let it loose in your life. Today confess sin. Commit to obedience. Today invite others into your life to offer you accountability offer you help so that you can grow in greater Christ-likeness. And then tomorrow, do the same thing. And Tuesday, do the same thing so that we can move forward. That was where we started this year, right? Before everything changed. Moving forward so we know Him more, so we can make Him known more. I want to go back to 2 Peter, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's see what Peter has to say one more time. I'll start reading in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature so that Christ may be formed in you. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So for this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, then they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, 
And he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's words in verse 12 are, are words that I want to communicate to you. I want you to pray for me that I could become like Peter in this. Because he says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them, you're established in the truth that you have, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, that part's not the same as Peter. I haven't gotten a word from the Lord that I'm going to die soon. But. And so verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, we have already talked about my shortcomings, my failures, yet they persist still, as you are well aware. I pray that you would give more grace. Grace upon grace to help me be a better shepherd like Paul or Peter. But even they sell it short to be a shepherd like Christ. To love as He loved. To be as single-minded as He was in His purpose. To be as willing to sacrifice as He was. So that at some point I might be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. So God, I pray that you would help me. Thank you for this congregation. And I pray that you would help them and us to own our responsibility for one another to own the second great command to love our neighbor as ourself grow our love for each other help us to put behind us the, the shackles of our sin the shackles of legalism and tradition and own the freedom that is ours in Christ. We are free to zealously love one another. We are free to zealously serve one another. Spirit, would you give us that goal even as we dismiss today to zealously love and encourage each other. 
And help us to be mindful of that. Not, not just when we gather together. But when we're in our homes, when we're at our jobs, when we're doing the things that we do throughout the week, to be consistently mindful. To be in birth pains. To rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. Christ, this is your church. And we're asking that you would build it. Build us up. Form us into your image. For our good and for your glory. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.